You are listening to the Becoming Love Conference, a three-part series with Dan Moeller. The event took place May 20th and the 21st. This is part three of three. Okay, if you were here this afternoon, you might not have been, but these guys kind of flowed and sang some songs that they wrote, and we had the same kind of experience tonight, and I'm just going to reiterate something. That was a jumpy little tune there. <laughs> that thing get in you? Yeah. Since your love got a hold on me, right? And then you're saying, I'm a new creation, I'm forever changed. Now watch this. It's awesome singing it here. Could you tell how awesome it was singing it here corporately? Imagine being all alone in a room and no one knows you're there but you and him. And you're actually singing that song from your heart to him. That's life changing. I mean, when you're actually believing his love got a hold on you and that you're a new creation and you're forever changed. Today we talked about making the tree good. That's making the tree good. You're not trying to do better. You're not biting your lip to live the life. You're becoming a good tree. You see who you've become, and the fruit's automatic. It comes through a new identity and a fresh identity. All of a sudden, if, if I wake up and I believe I'm a son, guess what I'm going to live like? A son. If I really sincerely wake up and believe I'm forgiven, accepted in the beloved, I'm going to be secure, and I'm not going to try to do anything to earn anything because I've already been found in him. It's amazing. Guys, the gospel, we're just saying, if I'm not in him, if I'm not in communion with him, I'm unfulfilled. Colossians chapter 2 says that, that the way you received him in verse 6, it says the way you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Built up and established in the faith. How would you receive him? By faith. How do you walk in him? By faith. It says beware, lest anyone, anyone would cheat you or rob you. Or take you plunder or hold you captive. Depends what translation. That's about four different translations there. But you get the point, right? Sell you short. Beware, lest any man cheat you, rob you, take you plunder, hold you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, traditions of men, the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. That means the truth's found in him and you're found in him. It says, and not according to Christ who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. That's amazing. Now be honest with me. Without realizing that we've been finding ourselves through a whole lot of other things. We need certain components in our life to stay encouraged. He's been very vulnerable and exposed up here in a healthy and awesome way. Say, man, I needed to hear that my preaching was good to affirm my own heart and make me relieved and go, wow, good, awesome. I wasn't sure if it was. <laughs> and we think that's just normal stuff. No, after a while, when you're a minister, that's unhealthy. That'll throw you into turmoil. You'll be debriefing all the time, and you're only as good as you're complimented. <laughs> Come on, right? Apparently, you realized that a while back, so <laughs> I'm glad you're free. <laughs> And, it, and, it, and it's, 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 there comes a place where you have to be secure in who you are in Him and your relationship with Him, and you have to trust His voice in your life, His impressions, and the person of Holy Spirit. But what I'm getting back to on this song is I'm just telling you guys, this is awesome to me. I was talking about becoming love last night, big time. How do you become love? Singing a song like that when nobody's around? 
just believe in it. You say, it can't be that simple. Oh, it's that simple. It's that simple because you are what you are by the grace of God. So you are what you are by the grace of God. So grace saves you through faith. So when you release faith in the truth, grace comes to make the truth your reality. And all of a sudden you're walking in what you believe because he's empowering you. It's a big deal. Getting alone with God when nobody's around. You're either one of two things. You're either out of your mind and he ain't in the room and you need to get a hobby. Or he's real. It's one or the other. You're either all alone or he's with you. I love those odds. I just like there's not a whole bunch of stuff in between. So, so you close the door and you sing, your love got a hold of me. What you're saying is, I believe you love me through your son. The fact that Christ was crucified says my life's valuable and well worth living. You were just singing about life coming from him. Life came from him. He's the one that made me. Right? We were singing that, really. When you're singing that, you're saying life came from him. I'm sitting here, I, I got a vision years ago, I shared it one time explicitly, and people had a blast with it, I don't, probably won't go into detail with it now, but I got a vision, and it's the truth, it's a, it was a vision, I better not share it now, but, no, but, but listen, 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 now, now you might not be sure you want me to, because I'm going to just touch it, okay, I'm going to say this. <laughs> In the average male, there's a release of about 500 million sperm cells. See, you didn't know I was going there. <laughs> and they race to the egg of the woman instinctively. It's in, it's in their created value to run there and get there first. And the first one that gets in is the winner. And the combination of the sperm cell and the egg becomes you. One makes it, hundreds of millions don't, and here you sit. And life comes from God. Ah! And there's a time to be, and you thought you were here because a man went into a woman. <laughs> Wrong. You were predestined before time to be adopted in as his. Life came from him. There's a time to be born. He saw your day before you were ever seen. He knew you well before you were known. Five hundred million sperm cells racing to mama's egg. And it was you. It's pretty intense. See the vision I got? I was in prayer. I was in prayer, worshiping God. And I saw this whole school of squigglies swim by me. It's a whole school. It looked like balloons with strings, horizontal cruising. And God just has a way of communicating. I knew what they were, and I knew it was my mother. I was looking at them going up the birth canal of my mother and inside my mother, and I was like, whoa, what are you teaching me? And I saw this. It, was a, it looked like a big golf ball. They were heading to it in the distance. And it was funny because it had like that hexagon look to it. I don't know why. It wasn't just like a round ping pong ball. It, it, it kind of looked like a golf ball to me. And they're all racing to it. And I see them all go, because I was reading scripture. God was teaching me who I was. He was showing me the value of my life. It was the most secure 
time ever like it's still that way. I'm not saying that was better then. It, it was, I just came into knowing who I was and it was like so good. And I just knew when I got saved, my life was never going to be the same. And there was no going back because there's nothing there. It was like, God, you're so good. And I get this vision in the midst of God teaching me things. And it was so comical. God has a sense of humor. He like has a way of communicating and he knows you. He knows how you hear what you... He... So I see this whole mass go, when I see the egg. And next thing you know, here comes this raft. And there's one squiggly in it. Got sunglasses on. Got a little iced tea with a bent straw. It's like a Veggie Tale movie. It's like, he don't got no arms. He's just holding a nice tea. And somehow he's backstroking because he's facing that way. Sometimes how he's backstroking up to the egg. And he's way behind the pack. But he's chilling. He's chilling. There was a message there. All these guys are salmon racing. Trying to get there first. And here comes this guy. He's just chilling. He gets up there. This is exactly what I saw. He gets up there and all these squigglies have safety goggles on. They got drills, chainsaws, and stuff. Jackhammers was the other one. Saw blades are bent. Jackhammers and drills are smoking. And they're all working hard. On the egg. Trying to get in. Nothing's working. They're frustrated. They're all trying hard. Gets up there in the raft. This one single fella gets up there in the raft. It was me. They all split like the Red Sea. And all you could see was a channel to the egg. And bent his little squiggly string down and went. Right inside the egg. Right in. No jackhammer saw drill. Destiny. No jackhammer drawer saw destiny. Calling. Duh. Duh. That was me. Woo! Man, I'm having fun. And all these squigglies, hundreds of millions, are standing there bewildered. Because I don't know where they go. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're all standing there and they're like frustrated, drills are smoking they're like all exasperated and they're like, how did he do that? how did he just get in? how did he get? and they're all questioning him from inside the egg I heard my voice shouting from inside the egg because it was me before the foundation of the world he chose me in him before I was known I was known in him before I was seen I was seen in him it was me from the beginning. Oh! <laughs> and you're going to tell me you're like, oh, one of millions. Technically, you're one in millions. One makes it in there. And here you sit with life inside of you. And you're going to let a circumstance outside of that truth define how you're doing and who you are? Not today, friend. Not anymore. <laughs> Tomorrow won't work either, but I'm just letting you know. You're letting things frustrate you and eat your lunch. And 
all the wisdom of the world becoming your truth. And yet there's a truth in your existence. And life is such a gift. Life isn't a dread and a burden and a challenge. Life is a gift. You've got this little window of temporal time that doesn't even mark the map of eternity. It doesn't even show up as a decibel. This one little window that's here and gone. I'm 54. I don't even know what that means. It's... But my life in him will speak on behalf of his name and bring him glory forever. This one little window. And one day I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to give an account of that. And be found living by faith. Not frustration, not feelings, not, well, I'd have followed you if it wasn't for, well, how come you didn't answer my prayer? Well, why did you give me that first spouse? See, you're going to find in that day, none of that stuff was relevant. Believing him in truth was relevant because it would have caused you to see everything else clearer. The Bible says in all you're getting, Proverbs 4, not some. In all you're getting, get understanding. Doesn't say blessing. Doesn't say a better job. Doesn't even say healing as much as I agree with it and believe in it. It says in all you're getting, get understanding. You grew up here and what you don't know won't, what you don't know won't hurt you. Didn't you grow up here in that? Well, what you don't know won't hurt The Bible says what you don't know is destroying you and in all you're getting, get understanding. You're up here and don't get your hopes up. The Bible says get your hopes sky high. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and hope is the anchor of your soul passing through the veil into his presence, Hebrews 6. You grew up here and what you see is what you get. And the Bible says don't you ever live by what you see. It's subject to change and what is unseen is eternal. I bet we've been trained by a language that wasn't him. I bet we've been taught by a lie. I bet we've been homeschooled in the wrong home. I bet in all you're getting, get understanding. I bet it's time to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and never again conform to the thing we were trained by. I just preached about 10 scriptures to you. Yeah? Yeah. Feels happy to me too. Yeah. I got the gospel in me. Yeah. Tony, it's in me. I'm serious. All them phrases. You grew up here in all those phrases. There's more. Isn't it amazing they're all 180 degrees turned from what's in the book? That's not an accident. Watch this. You and I grew up living at the expense of one another without really realizing it. Just all about me making it. In school, saying whatever you need to say to find favor, even to cost somebody else something. Even in, even in today's age, you say, well, I don't live at the expense of people. Just you living with an attitude that's unproductive in a home of four is putting pressure on the other three. Whoa, you hear how quiet that got. You're living at the expense of someone. When you have an attitude that's unproductive and puts people in a position where they have to choose, make a response or make a decision. And that's not love. That's not productive. It's pressure, it's unspoken control and manipulation. You're going to just give your spouse a silent treatment for two hours to send a message. You're just boasting and not knowing him like we sing. I'm not being mean, I'm being relatable and very real. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you, Val, <laughs> for affirming that. <laughs> You're so funny. Guys, are you okay? I'm not too intense, right? Come on, it's just in me this way. It's good. Let it startle us into something good. Come on, you're living at the expense. You know why I'm making a point about this? Because love lays down its life for another. We grew up living at the expense of one another. 180 degrees different than what you were intended to be from the beginning. So Jesus had to come in the midst of darkness and be a light that shined. Truth sprung out of the earth and all of a sudden stood before us and we beheld him in grace and truth. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, the way showed up. Not a way, not a good idea, not a religion, not a doctrine. God in the flesh. The word made flesh. Not a good idea, not a doctrine. A life lived. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't come and preach to you. He modeled it for you. <laughs> There's not one thing Jesus is asking of us that he hasn't lived and modeled and walked through. <laughs> In today's world, you got people that can go get an education and go be the boss over people that have done the job their whole life and the education, they've never actually done it with their hands, but they got the education and they're the boss over the people that did it. That doesn't fly good in the world. The employees don't do very well under that stuff. They don't. But Jesus isn't like that at all. Everything he's asking of you, he's already done it. He was tempted at all points, yet with no sin. He was totally innocent and judged as guilty and didn't let it change a thing about who he was. He was constantly accused. He was constantly backbitten against. He was constantly gossiped about. And he never lived a day of insecurity because he already knew who he was and he understood people didn't know who they were. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. They're sheep without a shepherd. He wept over that. He didn't cry because of them. He cried for them. There's a difference. We've grown up thinking being hurt is normal, thinking people owed me. Will you do me wrong? I'll get you back. Well, you started it. Well, you shouldn't in the first place. Jesus didn't teach us any of that. The fall of man taught us that. The wisdom of the world taught us that. The nature of the enemy of God taught us that. See, the truth is Adam didn't just sin in the garden. He became like the devil. He became like the enemy, and he thought for himself. He was made for love and got reduced to thinking for himself. And everyone sitting here looking at me with certain looks right now <laughs> was born into the rat race of fending for yourself and trying to find yourself along the way. Trying to fit in, be accepted, feel valuable and need love. Everybody in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's the perversion of our created value. You weren't created to need love. You were created to be love. And in being love, you're fulfilled. And in loving, you're fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> See, needing love, it's a big cop-out. And people tend to argue with this. They say, well, we all need love. Yeah, you do. The love of God. Get grafted back in. <laughs> get connected back to the vine and get that sap inside of you. <laughs> Man, I'm preaching good, dude. You know it too. <laughs> Come on, there's no way out of this. It's too much scripture. 
There's no way out of it. You can't remember. I had a man come. He was in ministry his whole life. He said, you know, I'd love to be mad at you and argue with you, but you preach too much scripture. (laughs) (laughs) Feel happy. You look happy. Yeah, you are. I can see it. Good morning, guys. There was a perversion when sin hit the earth. So what did Jesus do? He come and was made to be the very perversion. He was made to be sin. God didn't just like curse his son and put his son on a cross so he'd had to suffer. He made his son to be sin, guys. He took away sin and its power and it shall have no dominion over you. So in being a Christian, we've got to stop just making it a prayer of blessing. We've got to stop just making it heaven someday. Just being forgiven and confessing sins. No, no, no. It's a whole new way of living. You're renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're not unwise, but you understand the will of the Lord and you've been transformed by him. Old things are gone. New things have come. That has to do with this and this and this. I won't lay hands on anybody. I'll wait till it tries. <laughs> it was funny. I was in a service the other week. I told them about it last week. We, we, they rolled off their chairs because I was being so intense. And everybody's like, yes, and then God just let them laugh hysterically. Because he's doing surgery, so it's just anesthesia. He just gasses you every once in a while. So you're not overwhelmed and full of pain. He doesn't want you burdened. He wants you free. He doesn't want you like, oh, you're killing me. No, he wants you... <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just telling you. <laughs> just, so I was preaching and I was really passionate. And this girl was sitting there. She was so precious. She was just like this. She was just glued. She was just like this. And this big white spitball thing. Just, <laughs> and it was slow mo. It just went. It just. I can't even believe how long it took to get to her. I was like, and you got it on it. And she went. And she had these black, like, spandex things you girls wear. And it was white, and it was just sitting on top of her leg, just sitting there in a ball. And she's like... (laughs) I mean, it was big. (laughs) And and I said, it's okay, rub it in, it's anointed. And she went... (laughs) I just figured we had to get through that moment. But it was right at the time where it was like, zoom, pop, bam, and everybody was like, and all of a sudden, and it wasn't distraction, it's just, God doesn't want you heavy, it's, it's sober, and it's life-changing, and it's vital, and it's important, but he doesn't want you overwhelmed, his, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, all he's asking you to do is give up what you never were in the first place. It's not a big deal. He's not asking a lot. Well, the gospel will cost you everything. Everything you never were anyway. You're just giving up your own rights. It's not your life anyway. It's his life in you. You're just giving up your own attitudes and the things you were trained by so you can walk in truth. Why is it so hard to give up what you weren't? 
Why do we covet the lie at the expense of the truth when the truth is knocking on the door of our heart? Open up and let him in. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, guys. Well, we need some more laughing gas. Are you all right? Okay. Come on, it's the gospel. You can't find anything else in the scripture. I'm not sure what we preach sometimes. Let's make it all about our blessing and our breakthrough and favor. You have it. The Spirit of God is in you. You'll never be judged for your sins if you're sincere. You have life in front of you. Purpose and destiny, the present and future. You have a tomorrow in Him. Yay. And, and better yet, you have a brand new eye and a way of thinking and seeing. So now even everybody else looks different. All of a sudden, people aren't even your trouble. It's just wrong believing and wrong thinking. And now you'll never use another human being as the excuse for where you are or aren't. Because the just live by faith, not everything lining up. Come on, if you need all your ducks in a row, you'll never be okay. Because they never will be. Don't say that. They won't be. They won't be. People make mistakes. People do unbelievable things. Sometimes it just tries to shock you. You can't be shocked. You can't let it matter more than what matters most. You can't say if this person does this and this person does this, I'll be okay. That's idolatry. That's making those people Lord, not Jesus. You're saying I need everything to line up and work for me for me to be okay. Well, then what's the big deal about the blood and the cross? If my circumstances matter more than what he accomplished, then I'm finding my identity in things, not him. You say, but I can't take it anymore if they don't change. I'm just getting... No, you just don't know who you are and you're internalizing them and taking them personal and you're taking a hit along with them. And you think until they change, you can't be okay. Come on, stop that. God's been okay the whole time. People have never had the ability to change who he is. That's why he's still changing people. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm preaching to you tonight. Yeah? It's good, ain't it? I thought it was. (laughs) It just feels good. (laughs) Come on. I even took you back to when I was a sperm cell, man. I took you back to the beginning. (laughs) And And then you live your life. And stuff happens and things and you're striving and trying. And trouble is we feed ourselves with all these mentalities and we talk to so many people that don't understand. You get everybody's opinion. You tell people how you feel. They give you their advice. It's amazing how hurting people gravitate to people that are hurt. And then the people that are hurt affirm their reason for being hurt and empower them to stay there and support them in their pain. And they call them friends. Okay? It's not a friend. A friend gets you out of that thing and tells you why you don't have to be a mess and why you don't have to let what they did and said dictate and wreck your life when there's a higher truth. 
I'm not being insensitive. Come on, I understand it's sad that some people do what they do. And there's a time you can cry for a little moment with somebody and understand that they went through a trial. But don't let them stay there and become what that person did. What a lie. Be strong enough to be truthful. Come on. I see spouses do terrible things, man. They cheat on each other, they spouses. And then, and then what happens is, it's, it's terrible because of what it creates. It can be forgiven, it can be cleansed, it can be washed, and we can be rebounded. And, but the problem is, we take that stuff so personal that a lot of people never let that go. They, they always identify through what happened. So a spouse that was cheated on, without realizing it becomes a victim, instead of a child of God. And they become a product of broken trust, broken covenant. I mean, now, now we need that in the church, you know, cheated on spouses, the group for that. I'm not being mean. I'm saying, guys, we've got to stop stereotyping our life based on what we've experienced. Come on, if my wife cheated on me, why wouldn't I cry for her? How have I changed? If my wife right now is sleeping with some man, how does it change the Spirit of God in me, the call of God on me, and the kingdom of God inside of my heart? Somebody explain that to me. Why I'm supposed to be hurt, broken, and crushed, and fall apart because a woman made a bad choice. Explain to church, I need help. Because this thing wrecks everybody I see. And I'm wondering what's changed according to truth. The Spirit of God is inside of me. And I see through His eyes. And you're not going to break my heart through something like that. Why wouldn't it trigger my heart to become more and more like Him? Maybe in that moment she needs Jesus more than ever. And He happens to live inside of me. She probably doesn't need a broken-hearted spouse. She probably needs a man with integrity and character and understanding. And love that doesn't fail. And I promise you it's hard to preach this in the church because we've all put ourselves through so much pain and we have so many stories that you can hardly bring it straight because people tend to get condemned instead of empowered. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to pull you out of anything that promotes weakness. Let the weak say, I am. See, I got too much scripture inside of me. I'm telling you, it's scripture inside of me. You can talk your rationale all you want, but it doesn't stand in the counsel of God. We've got to stop honoring our feelings above the truth so that the truth can realign our feelings. Think about that one for a little. <laughs> Are you guys okay or is this too, is this too like, I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. <laughs> this thing is on me right now and I'm just bringing it like that. I'm not trying to hurt you. I know people have been through all kinds of things. You might be amazed what I've been through. Maybe it's why you see passion in me. Maybe it's not because everything's always went well. Maybe because it's, there's fires in life and Nebuchadnezzar's. Maybe there's things set out to destroy you, but he happens to be Lord. And all of a sudden, I don't have somebody else's Bible story. I have my own. <laughs> yeah. Do you see passion in me? Maybe it's because of fire and challenges and trials and conflict. Maybe it's because he's Lord in the midst of it all. 
Maybe it's because witchcraft comes and tries to kill you and nobody understands. And Maybe it's all that stuff and you've walked through it all and he happens to be Lord and he's not your doctrine. He's your father. Come on. <laughs> yeah? Maybe that's what's wrong with me, huh? Maybe I've crossed a line from doctrine to knowing him. Maybe I've crossed a line from serving him to being with him. Maybe he's in me. Maybe he'll never leave or forsake. Yeah? <laughs> I bet you. Come on, don't you let something matter more that doesn't matter most. Don't you sell cheap when the Bible says you're not for sale. You've been bought with a price and your life is not your own. It's Bible. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's not I who liveth, but Christ living in me. Wow. That's Galatians 2.20. It's in there. Yeah? Come on, guys. Come on, you talk about that cheating on each other thing because it's happened in the earth. People get confused and hurt. I'll tell you what happens. It's not always evil and wicked either and we judge the things so bad. It's confusion. Sometimes people get out of fellowship with God. They take unresolved conflicts to heart. They let their heart gray out. They let their relationship slip and all of a sudden they're living vulnerable and they're not getting from their spouse what they feel like they need. And it's all justified, but it's all delusion. And then they fall in love with somebody that's given them what they need. It's a starry-eyed Hollywood movie. And it's a delusion. It's impossible to be in love in that position. It's a needs-driven whirlwind fantasy. And everybody gets touched by it in a wrong way. And the trouble is that we see it victim-villain instead of that person's in trouble. Who never heard me share the story about the lady that left her husband in our church and the two little kids behind and went to be with another man? Who's never heard that story? Okay, I'm going to tell you now, because we're there. And I just felt like it was coming on me, and I thought, I bet they, a lot of them didn't hear this. This is intense. You better hold on. They passed this CD around back home when I first preached it. I, I preached it in Iowa during worship. For me to pick up a handheld during worship, it had to be God because I don't like them handhelds. I feel like I'm in bondage with a handheld. Like, Jesus shed all that blood to get me free and you stick me with a handheld. I can't even hold my bio. I can't do anything. I just stop. I don't like them handhelds. But during worship, I picked that thing up. People were on their faces and everywhere. Pastor called me crying. They were having some kind of revival breakout in worship at their church. And God was doing things. And I ministered that weekend. He said it was a turning point for our church. It brought such a solid foundation of heart into our church and of God. And it's just, they're just thankful. And it was just fun. It wasn't my fault. You, I, heard, I, got it. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just got the mic and started talking the initial impressions. And it came out like it did. But it's on the internet. It's called Love and Forgiveness. It's a CD called Love and Forgiveness. And the, the, the comment at home is don't try to listen to it and drive because it undoes people um, I mean people that are angry break when they listen to it they don't get angrier they, they break it's amazing it's, it's powerful because it was from the Lord 
But here was one of the stories on there. There's several. I mean, I used illustrations that day. I said, you know, it's bad enough if somebody's cheating on somebody. It has its repercussions and problems. But I said, then when it's with somebody else, like an official, a government, or a pastor, then it's like it's 10 times worse. We think it's 10 times worse. So now you're not just cheated on. You're cheated on by a pastor. So that just complicates it and compiles it more. We think. It's all psychological. It's, it's the same. Somebody dies near Christmas, and we make it worse than if they died three months before. It's the same. We're just sentimental. They died. You're not ready for them to die. You didn't want them to die, and you make it ten times worse because it was near a holiday. I'm just telling you that's what we do. It's sentimental, and it's psychological. It has nothing to do with truth. And you're compiling the problem by thinking that way. Instead of embracing it with thanksgiving and appreciation to God for everlasting life and the, the, the time and the tenure of memories and yay God and, and there's still loss. We talked about this this morning and there's still, yeah, and tears, and, but, but it never overwhelms you and it never steals your disposition because you live by faith and you have a bigger picture in front of you than right now. You get that? Here's what happened. Well, what I was going to tell you is that that man came up to me in that service and he cried and he said, you pulled my exact scenario and you detailed it from the pulpit. I said, it was God, man. I don't even know what just happened. He said, I know what happened. My heart went free. He said, my wife left me four years ago. I've been so bitter because she left with our pastor. And he said, because of that one component, I couldn't get past it. And I let it affect my vision of the church and my view of God because of what he represented when he was just another hurting, lost, empty man with a badge. And I let it matter more than if it was somebody else. And he said, I've been mad at them and I've been praying wrong ways. And he said, today I can honestly tell you I'm hurting for them and I realize they're blind and deceived and that what they did, man, I just pray that God would bring change and show mercy. And he just started to share his heart. I thought, isn't that something? You use an example and he's sitting right there. There was a man that came up to me and he was crying and he said, I knew a man in Vietnam, talking about himself, that did horrendous things and could never be forgiven. And today I realized that man died and the new man needs nothing but love. We think he needs countless counseling and sessions. He just needs truth. Guys, He needs truth. Truth makes you free. (laughs) It gets serious when I lean on a pole like this and teach. I never stay still. It's going to be calculated. It's going to be scary. I'm a surgeon tonight. I need a good grip on the scalpel. I ain't moving. (laughs) I just realized I'm stationary. That's rare. So this guy calls the church. Damn, my wife just gave me divorce papers. What are you talking? Are you kidding? What are you talking about? Divorce papers? I didn't even know you guys were struggling. Nobody told me. You didn't even, what's going on? Whoa, this is so quick. And he's like, I don't know what's going on either. 
Turns out it's like a lot of marriages, unresolved. You get familiar with each other. Got two kids, got the tensions and pressures of the day. Words that shouldn't be said are never retracted. There's never just a quiet rub on the shoulder and a hug from behind. And hey, I know it was a little tense today when I come over work. Sorry, I didn't seem like I appreciated you, baby. I don't ever want my day to get in the way of my love for you. I'm just sorry. Please forgive me. No, it's okay. That's healthy. That stuff helps things. That stuff wasn't happening. So they're going to bed with unresolved conflicts. They're just going to bed not doing well. And then, you know, sometimes the guys being guys, they have urges and needs and they have expectations and the women feel obligated and it's not really a romance and a love thing and it's not really I open up to you because I honor and respect you. It's like, well, I guess this is my place. And after a while, that stuff takes a toll and things just don't seem the same. It's all right if I talk plain. Come on, we're adults. It's not it's been three days, you know, honey. It's I love you. And it's the woman responding to love, not need. So I got a hold of her and I talked with her and she looked me dead straight in the eyes and said, look, nothing's changing my mind. I'm doing this. I said, you're kidding. You can't do this. She said, I'm doing it. She said, I've been good my whole life. It's time to have fun. I said, fun? You know, and you don't know what I've put up with him and you don't know what I, all right. There's the pain. There's the unforgiveness. I wonder if God took that initiative for one day towards humanity. Uh-huh. Just one day towards humanity. If God just lived in that place for a week and all of a sudden couldn't tolerate us anymore. Come on, if you can't find it in God, don't find it in you because you're made for His image and as He is, so are you in this world. And as the Father sent me, so I send you. That's Scripture. That's John chapter 20. It's there. I promise. I read the book. I cried so hard looking into her eyes because it was just, it wasn't just demonic. It was willful. It was, I'm doing this. And I'm like, you, I'm doing it. She just walked off into darkness. So she gets on a plane and leaves and leaves the two little girls behind. And the husband, little kids. Like little kids. I mean, come on. Let's just be real. You can't picture it, so let's just be real. It'd be like you jumping on a plane, leaving him behind with the kids in a delusion. Come on. You can't even, in the moment, you can't even, there's no way to process it. It's like, ah! Right? So guess what he does? He goes in his bedroom, starts screaming and freaking out because he served these speeded up divorce papers and she's like, just get it over with because I'm leaving. He's in his bedroom for five days screaming, hitting the walls, freaking out. God, how can you let this happen? God, what are you doing? God, you can't let her go. God, just freaking out. Not saying much, just freaking out. After five days, the presence of the Lord came into the bedroom, tangible. He was very aware of the Lord. He said, would you stop praying that way? You don't have a problem. Now listen to analytical thinking and human wisdom, the way that seemeth right to a man that never produces life. He said, Dan, I was never so mad at an individual in my entire life. And it was God. He said, it was like the veins were going to blow out of my neck. He said, I heard the Lord say, you don't have a problem. And I screamed back at him. 
And I said, what do you mean? Is this a joke to you? What do you mean I don't have a problem? I have divorce papers in my hand. My wife's in the arms of another man and my children no longer have a mother and I don't have a problem. That's exactly what I said. You don't have a problem. Your wife is in trouble. And then he gave him this impression. How is it possible that I live inside of you and all you can think about is you and cry for you and never consider the state of the soul of your wife? How is that possible? And he collapsed crying and it changed his life. It's amazing how we've been tricked into being Christians for ourselves instead of his great name. Christians for our own benefit instead of his image. Christians for what we can get out of him instead of how we can become more like him in the moment. It's amazing how we've preached a self-serving gospel and didn't realize it. And we've become a lot of other things. Don't you let that be you, friend. You can live in a higher place. You can come up hither. She came home after that thing didn't work out. He found out she was home, tracked her down. So why don't you come home? I love you. I'm changed. She said, you'd be with me after all this? He said, I love you. I'm not insecure. I could have found another wife, another woman. I didn't. I feel married in my heart to you. They got together and found out she was pregnant and it was way too soon and realized it was somebody else that she connected with when the first thing didn't work out. You see what you do? You're looking for something and you just jump from one to another to another and it's not there. Guys, it's not there. It's not the answer. So she fell apart and said, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant and it's not to you. He said, oh well. We'll raise it as our own. I'm glad we're together and I understand covenant. I'll be the daddy. I'm telling you straight, that's Jesus, whether you agree with it or not. I'm not asking for your agreement. I'm telling you it's Jesus. What about the prophet who married Gomer and she took off and back out in the streets? Hosea said, what do you want me to do? He said, what do you mean? Go get her and bring her back. She takes off. Go bring her back. Prophesied to the children of Israel. This is basically what he was saying. I'm not going to stop loving you. (laughs) So he set the prophet up with this relationship. And the lady did to him what the people of God were doing to God. Other lovers, idolatries, other passions, other priorities... And the children of God were doing to God what she was doing to him. And he used that as the prophet's prophecy to Israel. You ain't changing me or my mind. I love you. My love will track you down wherever you are. Psalmist writes the psalm, even if I make my bed in hell, you're there. (laughs) Yay. Do you guys see what's wrong with me? Do you understand why I'm the way I am? Seriously. I believe this gospel this way. I, I've, 
I've yielded to him, and by his grace and his mercy, he's allowed it to become who I am. And it's so secure, it's so solid, it's powerful, without you being puffed up. Because you are what you are by the grace of God. But we got to be believers. We, we got to believe, we got to know what to believe. We've got to raise our vision of why we're here and why he's in us. We've got to stop trying to just get by and survive and make it. The gospel is not a survival kit. It's not a safe haven. It's the change of your life. The gospel looks like this. Love your enemies. Feed those who are against you if they're hungry. Endure hardship as a good soldier. No one enlisted in the army of God ever again entangles himself in the affairs of this life. Why don't we preach that gospel? To live sanctified and come out from among them and be ye separate. (laughs) It's the gospel. Don't think it's strange when these things are happening to you. Just know they're happening to all your brothers and sisters all around the world. So don't take it personal and don't get individual with it. It's the way it is. He's greater. Don't think it's strange. Count it all joy when you're tested and tried with various temptations and crazy stuff, right? (laughs) Knowing that these things produce what? patience. Let patience have her perfect effect in work in your life. That you're mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. That sounds like fullness. Are these all scriptures? And you think I believe them and I'm going to let a he said, she said, well, I feel, well, I can't believe they interrupt the power of this? Not today. Right, not tomorrow either. I've been saying this for about 18 years. The way you see me right now is the way you'll always see me, or worse. Because I'm knowing him more. But you don't run out of gas in 20 years. You're more on fire because you have a greater revelation. If you're just doing this thing for ministry... For identity, you'll probably be out of gas. You'll probably have a lot of horror church stories. You'll have horror scripts. Well, pastoring's been tough. It'd be really great if it wasn't for the people. But I'm hanging in there, brother. Am I messing up really bad? Well, you know how it is. People don't appreciate you. You go out of your way. You lay down your life, and then they break your trust. You got to really guard yourself. Guard yourself. That's a good way to not have him be your rock and defense. See, the reason he's your rock and defense is because you live his way. You think his way. He defends you. It doesn't mean he's knocking everybody out. Come on. He's not smoting people on your behalf. He's your defense. Listen to this. Jesus says this in the Gospels. He says, in the world, 
You have tribulation in me, you have peace to be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Well, Lord, if you overcame the world, why do I have tribulation? See, he's not talking about having circumstance-free living. He's talking about having an eye that he deposited. He overcame the world. He came and showed you the way. In the world you have tribulation, but in me you have peace. So be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I came and shined light into your situation. I showed you who you are in the face of it all. So you respond different. So you see it different. So you interpret it different. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but it's the Lord that will deliver them out of them all. Why? Because he changed the way we think and live. You guys with me on this? Come on, it's a big deal. It's very important you believe the gospel. I think we're always waiting for the Big Bang or something. Like, God to just, boom, change me. We are. And he's asking us to believe him. He's asking us to believe the cross, guys. To believe that the cross was the statement of, I love you. Let me tell you what the cross says. Here's what Jesus is saying on the cross when he's not saying a word. I love you people. I know who you are. This is worth it to me. I know I'm innocent. You seem guilty, but I want to make you innocent. I'll become guilty. I'll pay whatever necessary to get the truth back in you. Get destiny back in your lives and get my spirit back inside of you. It's an honor for me to hang here and die here. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the cross speaking. Better things. It's not, you bunch of wretches, you bunch of worms, I hope you appreciate now. Look what you put me through. You ought to get a grip and give your life to me. You owe me a lot, you know, no matter how hard you try, you ain't paying this back, because look at me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, I love you, I know who you are. You're so much more than what you've believed and what you're giving yourself to. Come out of darkness into the light. I want you to come into the kingdom of my love. Man, that's the gospel, dude. It's that song we were singing that he, he couldn't stop. Neither could you. Since your love got a hold of me, I'm a new creation. I'm changed forever. You see? See what's wrong with me? Now you go after this truth. Don't be afraid you'll get like me. Don't let that keep you back. Don't say, I ain't going after God and getting like that. Don't do that. Don't rob yourself. Don't, don't try to be like me or be afraid that you will be. You'd be the best Tony. You just be the best you. You go after him and you be sincere. And when nobody's looking, you lift your hands and thank him that his love got a hold of you. That your life is, watch this, this is good to say stuff like this in a room when you're all alone. My life is so worth living. God, you proved that I have value because no one would pay such a high price for nothing. All my life I heard the gospel was all about my depravity and he died because I'm a sinner. He died because I'm a sinner. Are you kidding? He had to die because I sinned. He died because something was lost and he wanted to save that which was lost. He wanted to pay the price to put destiny back on me and fill me with truth again. So did the gospel have to do with my deficit or my value and my purpose? 
my whole life. No preacher ever told me Jesus died to redeem my value. In my day growing up, that was considered heresy and blasphemy. In some circles, it still is. But Jesus said himself in Matthew 18, he came to save that, not who, that which was lost. Something was lost through sin. And he wants to pay to put it back on you. Yeah. Jesus was marred beyond recognition and description in Isaiah 52. When they were done beating him, you couldn't tell who he was if you could even tell he was a man. Because he was marred more than any of the sons of men. So at the hands of men, Jesus' appearance was worse than any man was ever left at the hands of men. Why? Why couldn't it just be 39 stripes and a few spikes in the hand? Because when sin got done with Adam in the garden, he didn't look anything like he was created to be. He lost his appearance. And what was love became desolate and bankrupt and self-centered. So Jesus came and lost his appearance as an innocent man to get identity back to who was once guilty. <laughs> and you think I'm going to be ashamed of the gospel? <laughs> Not today, friend. It's your cue. Yeah, not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. <laughs> you guys are getting good. <laughs> Preach this thing for me here. Are you guys getting something out of this? Now listen, we won't grow in this truth if you don't spend time with him. I'm just being raw and real. Being with him changes your life, not trying harder. Being with him changes your life. And you won't be with him and feel comfortable being with him unless you see yourself the way he does through his son. If you don't start where Jesus finished, you'll never run well. You'll try to accomplish what's already done. It's very, very important that you don't relate to sin, its ability, its tendencies, its weaknesses. And, and, and because you'll make yourself susceptible to it. You've got to wake up every day and thank God you're forgiven, you're free, and you're empowered. And in that place, even if, John says, even if you sin, it won't be the end of the world, and you won't get condemned to throw away your identity, you'll look to the advocate, Jesus the righteous. Now, here's the cool part. If you understand the gospel, you're not looking for a way to sin and get away with it and cover it with language. You found a way to be free. And he didn't say, and when you sin, he said, and if you sin. And that just freaks the church out. Because we feel like we have to boast in our ability to sin. And that that's a humble place to exalt God. No, God told you to follow him and be like him. To live righteous, to walk free from these things. So I want to cover a couple things. Do you guys, can, do you guys have the ability to put scripture up there? Not, no? If you can't, that's okay. Just say so, man. Oh. You can? You guys are awesome. Thank you. Because Jesse went, mmm. There was so much unbelief coming out of this area right here. I just felt it. It was like. <laughs> Did you guys hear the groan up here? Did you guys have the ability to put your, mmm. I didn't know if he was groaning in prayer, other tongues. I didn't know if he had a revelation. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, can you do me a favor and put up 1 John chapter 1, just start at verse 5. And then we're going to go one more place, but I want to nail something down for you guys, okay, tonight. I'm just going to nail this thing down. We as the church have been notorious. I don't know your background. I don't know your upbringing, but I know you've heard these phrases. Well, yeah, but brother, we're always going to sin. Nobody's perfect. What are you saying? You don't have no sin. There's always this big debate, and we're very, without realizing, when I say we, I'm just talking at large, we're very sin-conscious people if we're not careful. And we think we have to boast in the fact that we're always failing to reveal humility. And we feel like, so, so, so preachers, unfortunately at times, take scripture and just, just quote one-liners without the context of where they were written. I'm not against you quoting a one-liner, but make sure when you quote it, it's in light of what was written and you use it in a way that reveals what it's saying. Because when you start talking about this sin-conscious thing and righteous-conscious and free from sin, people get wigged out. They think, they think it's heresy. Sincerely, they think that it's blasphemy and that it's not good. 1 Peter 2 says this. It says, He bore your sin and my sin in His body on a tree. So where's your sin and my sin? In His body on a what? Why? That we having died to sin, might live for, if you're living for righteousness, there's no unrighteousness. If you're living for righteousness, it means you've been made right in the sight of God without any sense of guilt, condemnation, or shame. So if he bore your sin and my sin in his body in a tree, purpose, intention, that we, having died to sin, that means sin consciousness, the ability to sin, the weakness of sin, the stain of sin, the memory of sin, the effects of sin, we die to sin, live for righteousness, and by his stripes we're healed. That's in your Bible, guys. So then a preacher will say, yeah, but brother, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth's not in you. And they'll quote that one line. So then when people start hearing what I'm preaching, if they're not careful, they'll grab that one line as a warning that they heard the preacher say, if you say you have no sin, you're deceived. And then all they can hear when I'm preaching is, so what are you saying? You don't sin? You never sin? Are you perfect? Come on, you can't be perfect. Everybody sins. And all of a sudden, we're so back to sin consciousness. Now, I want to show you something. You bear with me. I'm going to teach you something so this lie dies in any of our lives if it's there. This is the message we've heard. I'm going to read it in context. This is the part that says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth's not in you. And then I'm going to read the whole thing in context to see what he's really saying, okay? You fair with that? You good with that? It'd be healthy to read the whole word, right? See, don't just ever read out of context. Don't just read, if you're a preacher, if you're a Bible teacher, don't just preach from a therefore. You better back up and find what it's there for. (laughs) Therefore literally means in light of what I just said. You better interpret based on what was just said. And it better match what's said afterward. You guys with me? One-liners have been very detrimental to the body of Christ. Making them say, the things we call 
cults and, and deceptions out there, some of the movements that knock on doors and hand out pamphlets. If you, people just say they're cults and stuff, but if you read their pamphlets, they're masterfully written. It's like 10 scriptures pulled out of context, blended together to make a statement. And it has a spirit of delusion attached to it and everything. But if you know the word, oh, I have fun with that stuff. Not because I'm cocky and arrogant, because I love people and I just, I, I'm not threatened by questions. I, I, when I got saved, I so wanted, them fellas used to knock on my door and I had nothing to give them. So I'd just say, look, I already believe or I don't want anything. And I'd slam the door on them. And then when I got saved, they never knocked. And I was like, bummer, I actually want to hold a conversation and find out where they're coming from and what they believe. I feel like I can engage. Amen. And I think God was just preparing me because he waited about two years and they knocked on my door. It was amazing. I'm not joking. They left my house trembling. They're trained to respond to me. They're trained. All the other... They had no idea what to do with me. Watch. They left my house trembling. I crawled over my railing and followed them through the yard. And said, listen, guys, I love you so much. Please don't knock on my neighbor's doors when you're not even sure what you believe. Please. And I followed them. And I said, we're, we're going, we're going. The next day, two guys, senior elders, church of. I looked. I said, hey, guys. They said, Hello. I said, man, I said, I'd love to rejoice that you're on my porch, but sadly, you're only here because you want to hear what I said to them, guys, so you can better train them. And they put their heads down. God will give you stuff, man. He'll make you just wise. I said, the only reason you're on my porch, you have no interest in the content of what I'm saying for the heart's sake. You just want to better prepare yourself to train people against fellas like me. But since you're here, let's have at it. <laughs> You know what they did? They came to my home group. And they saw God move. And they saw words of knowledge. And they saw a miracle. And they put their heads in their hands and just sat there for a while. And then they told me they needed to leave. And I hugged them on my porch and said, thanks for coming to my house. It was really humbling that you came. I so appreciate you coming. I love you guys. Well, you ain't supposed to receive them into your house. Come on, be careful. My house was not threatened by them being there, I promise. <laughs> I happen to live there. <laughs> it's my house, <laughs> not theirs. There's authority there. Jesus is there. Now, I wish it would have turned out different. That was 18 years ago. I have never saw that movement or representation of that church on my street since that day. And I won't as long as I live there. They're not coming on my street. Because they, they have no answer. Those two senior elders had no answer. For the word of God. And they're trained to have answers. You can grow and you can get yourself in him. And have a motive for them that's not upstaging them. Not setting them straight. Not correcting them. But you absolutely care. And I'm telling you grace in heaven is with the right motive. And you can speak in a wisdom that nobody can trap. It's just fine. God will give you some stuff. 
This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. And where does he live? In you. That's a good start. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. Well, and I'm sorry, back up. I'm sorry, I realized what you did. You're highlighting for me. Okay. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Watch this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, watch this. Here's what he's saying in context. If you say, what sin? I don't need the blood. What blood? If you're saying you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth's not in you. Watch this. But if you confess, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Could you, is, do you have the ability to back up two verses? Watch this. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from... How much? So what in that verse, what were you just cleansed from? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's second, he's saying that twice. And now watch. Cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? So if you're forgiven of all sin and cleansed of all unrighteousness, what's remaining in the realm of sin? Next verse. He clarifies the other verse. If we say we have not sinned. Who knows everyone's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we all need the blood of Jesus. Who knows we all need to finish work in the cross. Who knows that Christ didn't die in vain. He came with purpose. And if you say you have no need of the cross, that's all he's saying. If you say you have no need of the blood, you're deceived. Watch. Because if you say you have not sinned, well, I don't sin. I'm a good person. I bake pies for the neighbor. I don't hurt anybody. I don't sin. Who's ever hurt people like that? You make him a liar and the word's not in you. Next verse of of chapter 2, verse 1. Can you just do that? That's awesome if you can. You guys are awesome. You're really... Because that's a little more of a challenge, isn't it? You guys are just doing me right here. Verse John 2. Oh, watch this. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. (laughs) Well, but you know you're always gone, and if you say you're not, you're lying. He's not saying that. That would be weird. Why is he writing this about light and righteousness and forgiveness and cleansing? He's teaching us a righteous identity so we stop relating to sin. Let's recognize we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But man, we're walking in the light as He's in the light. He has washed us, cleansed us, and we have connection and fellowship with one another. Yeah? (laughs) I write these things, little children, so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, not when, if, we have an advocate He's with the Father. His name is Jesus, and He's righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation, which means the mercy covering for our sins. And not only ours, but for those of the whole world. That doesn't mean a man doesn't have to repent. That doesn't mean everybody's saved. That means that a price was paid to forgive every man. 
That's why you can pray for an unbeliever on the street and they can be healed instantly because blood's speaking better things and mercy's triumphing over judgment. They still got to get born again. Okay, now I need you to go to Romans 6 and we're going to blow this thing up. I'm serious. I don't even know how much we read our Bibles because we get stuck in these languages and we're afraid to preach truth and righteousness. And we say, yeah, but we're always going to sin, brother. That's such a dead topic to the cross. Like Jesus is not impressed with you saying that. He's actually saying, why don't you get understanding? A sin consciousness will never change your life. It'll just keep bearing the same fruit. The biggest mistake we make, guys, is we think our ability to sin makes us sinners. We think our ability to fail makes us failures. So we focus on the wrong thing and keep producing the same fruit. Watch this. The reason Paul's asking this question, this is chapter 6, verse 1. The reason he's saying, what should we say then? Because you don't have to back up. Because in verse 5, he ends with, where sin abounded... Grace did abound much more, all the more. I like that. All the more. So when he writes that, he says, well, he knows how people think. Well, that's awesome. I'm sinning and grace is abounding, so I guess it's not a problem sinning. It'll just keep grace coming. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. See, he wants to destroy a sin mentality. He wants to destroy the life of sin. So here's what he says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who... Wow, see, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you thought you prayed a prayer to go to heaven. Maybe you thought you prayed a prayer to get blessed, to get a better job and get some increase of finances. Maybe you thought you prayed a prayer so you could find favor in your marriage. But the reason you come to God is to die to sin. Colossians says, since you've been raised with Christ, seek those things where Christ is. In heaven, not the things of the earth. Set your mind on the things above and not the things below. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ. Maybe we weren't told we died. Maybe we didn't understand why we got water baptized. Maybe we thought it was just an ordinance we're supposed to fall out. Maybe we didn't understand it was symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we died, and when he died, we died. And we go under with him in that water as he went in the grave. And when we come up, we're born again and we come up in the newness of life. You're going to see it. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, here's, here's an amazing phrase. Or do you not know? Maybe we don't. Maybe that's why we teach. Maybe that's why he wrote this, because not everybody knew. Maybe not everybody was taught this. Or do you not know? It's an important phrase. Watch how much it jumps out at us. Or do you not know that all of us, how many? have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death. What's his death? We're going to find out. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So we died in the likeness of his death. We're going to have to find out what that means in a minute. But we are learning one thing. We got baptized into whatever he died to. True? We've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, there it is again, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, second time, you better know it, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be a slave to sin. 
Oh my goodness, is God a blasphemer? Is he a heretic? For he who has died is, you have to say it. Well, yeah, but brother, you know you're always going to sin. You're never going to be perfect. I mean, what are you saying? You don't sin? Are you saying you're perfect? Do you see how destructive and uninformed that mentality is? And misses the whole point of grace working through faith. And all of a sudden you rob yourself of being what grace is willing to empower you to be. And all of a sudden you live by your own human experience and others and don't let the finished work of Christ have its perfect effect in your life. And wonder if it's possible to become something more than we've experienced by His Spirit. And wonder if you live in the Spirit and you don't fulfill the lusts of the... So what's that look like? Wow. For he who has died is what? Now if we have died with Christ, man... We got to get on with what he died to, huh? If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing third time. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, never to die again, death no longer is master over him. Here's what he died to. We're buried into this death. We were baptized into this for the death that he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves To be dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. How do you get around that? Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so you should obey it in its lust. Do you not know? Uh, Go on. Don't you go on representing the the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though alive from the dead. Now watch this. And your members of instruments of righteousness, you can hold it there to God. Now watch. This doesn't just mean don't go on committing murder and adultery and robbing and stealing and lying. What it means is stop seeing yourself in agreement with sin. Don't wake up believing that lie and present yourself as an instrument of sin for unrighteousness. But you wake up and present yourself to God as holy, usable, meet and fit and ready for the master, right? Alive from the dead and your members instruments and fruit for righteousness you get it so you wake up every day father i thank you you've transformed me you've empowered me you don't see me for what i failed in you see me for what you accomplished and you put strength in me and ability in me by the working of your spirit and i am what i am by the grace of god i thank you i'm a good tree i'm planted by the rivers of living water i don't sit in the seat of the scornful and i will bear fruit in my season and my leaf will never wither you are surely for me my god Yeah? A little bit of scripture there, huh? What then? What then? For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Now he knows what people think. What then? Shall we just sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? No, he just told you you're dead to it. May it never be. See, this is why preachers are afraid. I've learned to preach righteousness because they think they're going to empower people to sin and get away with it and embrace a language that allows them to stay the same. That's not what this is teaching. I didn't find a way to sin and get away with it. I found a way to be free. I'm not going to say, well, you know, God knows my heart. No, he knows your life. And your life is your heart. And then people say, well, you ain't supposed to judge me. We're not judging you if it's already out in the open. (laughs) To judge you means to presume upon you. 
It means to be sit back and see two young folks, and they're pretty close during the service, and you're thinking, I bet they're doing it. <laughs> you know they're doing it. I mean, look where his hand is, and look how he is. They're doing it. I'm just telling you, that's presumption, that's judgment. But if they're sitting in an office and you're talking and they want premarital counseling, you say, hey man, are you guys doing it? Yeah. Well, listen, hey, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. You already told me yeah. (laughs) What they're trying to do is get off my back, let me do what I want and create the God I want. Let me have my cake and eat it too. Fulfill the passions of my flesh and embrace spirituality. So they say, well, you're not supposed to judge me. I'm not. Your life is. And be not deceived. God's not mocked. And let no one deceive you with empty words. Anyone practicing these things by no means has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. That means you gray out yourself, you're living in a lie, and you're hiding behind words. And I talk about it with folks when the doors close big time. And I'll tell you how much of a problem it is in the body because we haven't grown up in Him. In my entire Christian life, I know like two couples that kept that thing clean till the day they were married. Everybody else already jumped in and then said, well, you know, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying there must be a weakness there. We must have a lot of needs. And we must be driven by feelings instead of truth. And we think it's the kids. It ain't the kids. It's people 40 and 50. All the time. So I've learned this. I'm not being raw and crude. Some of these Christian dating things are meat markets. So they come together and do what the world's doing somehow in the name of the Lord. I mean, at least we don't drink and smoke, but we do get it on. I'm just being real. I've been around this stuff. I mean, it's like a car lot. They're test driving cars. And they're like, well, we tried this car and this car and this car. We ain't hitched yet, but we'll try that car. How about getting in Jesus and getting filled with him so he can connect your life with something solid? I don't know how I got on all that. (laughs) What shall we say? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace may it never be? Fourth time. Do you not know? It's fourth time. Do you not know that when you present your member... To someone as a slave for obedience, you're that slave to the one whom you obey, whether it's sin resulting to death, see, identity, deception, or obedience resulting in righteousness. Who you believe you are is what you'll serve. Yeah. So you can call me a heretic all you want, but I'm going to hear his voice tonight and wake up in his presence, and I'm going to be free from the consciousness of sin. Call me a heretic. It's not going to change anything. Oh, my goodness. But thanks be to God. See, that's why I'm pumped. I'm thanking him. That though I once was a slave of sin, I became obedient from my heart to this form of teaching which I'm committed. Some of us were never even taught this thing and Paul's expecting that we should be committed to this teaching. We're fighting this teaching based on our human experiences. (laughs) Oh my goodness, God, are you serious? Now, Father, you know we're always going to sin. You know we're not perfect. You know everybody has their issues. 
Why would you say we're free from sin when we're all under bondage to it? See, that sounds weird to me. This isn't my sermon notes. This is Romans 6. Ah! Ah! I'll let you say it. And having, watch how good this feels. And having set free from what? Is that in your Bible? Is it okay to say that? Ah! Oh, you became slaves of? I looked that up. You know what it means? To be bound to, chained, to serve. Thrown away the key. I'm bound and chained to the destiny and identity of righteousness. And it's all I can be from this day forth. Is right with God. Throw away the key. Ha! I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. He's just relating here. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, this is clear. So now, every day you wake up and every moment you live, present your members as a slave to be found right in the sight of God and the result is your sanctification, which means holiness. And all of a sudden you become holy without biting your lip to be holy. It's because you believe you're free. Duh. For when you were a slave of sin, when you were a slave of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, ah! You guys have to say it. You result... You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. That means holiness. And the outcome? Oh, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you guys need any more evidence? Did we nail this thing? Ah! There's a scripture just grilling me right now. Romans 5, 17, it says, if you receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, you'll reign as a king in this life. Amen. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, we could crush that probably, but... <laughs> He's sitting over here manifesting. He's saying, crush Romans 7. People make Romans 7 Paul's experience. And they miss the very beginning of the chapter. Well, yeah, but the very beginning just gives it, gives it all the way. Romans 7. I won't camp prolong, but I just want you. Romans 7, verse 1. Because see, if you read 5, 6, 7, and 8, there's no way you can misinterpret 7. It's that out of context thing. We're just dead to sin, and then we turn around and think Paul's saying he's a slave to it, and it's a master over him, and that the things he wants to do, he can't never do, and the things he don't want to do, he always does. That's not Romans 6, guys. He's, he's talking about a life apart from the gospel, and here's how you know it. Do you not know, brother, and I'm speaking to those who know the law, 
that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. You're supposed to die. So you die to what you were under and you live to something new. It's so simple. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband when, she is li- when he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she should be called adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, so she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to... So Paul's explaining the first after he went through the beauty in Romans 6 of the second. You get it? (laughs) So watch this. So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were... See? You're not under that anymore. You're joined to another. So he said, I wouldn't even know sin if it wasn't for the law. So the law is not unholy. The the law actually showed me what coveting was and what sin was, but it aroused a passion in me. It showed me there was something dwelling in me called sin. And people read that and go, see, Paul's talking about his experience. Are you kidding me? He just told you he died to that. He's joined to another. But he's telling you how wretched it is to live under that first thing and how lifeless it is. And we think Paul just wrote us and said to us, shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? Of course not. May it never be. For how shall we who died to sin? And then you think a chapter later he said, man, I'm in trouble. The things I want to do, I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I always do. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm trying not to be rude, but I don't even, I can't even imagine that we think that and fight over it. It's because we don't read the whole thing. Are you guys all right? He's joined to another. He died to the law and the law aroused these things in him. The law of sin and death. Watch this. The law, Romans 8, the next chapter, after he talks all about this, he says, no condemnation in Christ for those who live according to the, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Six, seven, eight. Life in the spirit Life the way it used to be, the church in Jesus. What he's saying is don't ever be found in chapter 7. It's not you anymore. And then we preach that Paul was preaching from his own personal struggles. It's, it's actually borderline unbelievable to me. And I'm not trying to belittle people. It's borderline unbelievable to me. That the language is so clear and all we do is preach Romans 7. (laughs) You guys all right? I'm trying to be. I'm leaning on a pole. (laughs) Just trying to hold it together right now. So what are we going to do? I mean, it's a quarter nine. 
Anybody have any suggestions? No, no, I'm not preaching. Stop it. I know you got something out of tonight. Do this real quick with me. Huh? What's that? You open it back up. Yeah. Do this real quick with me. We probably ought to open the Bible. Somebody will say, he never opened his Bible. If you were listening, I preached two-thirds of it. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I know. Oh, it felt so good, too. It was just... People say, you're like a fire hose. I want to be even more. I, fi- I figured, you know what I do? I shoot a machine gun in the Lord. I figured, if you took a machine gun right now, you took an automatic weapon in, in real life, and you had a big, long clip, and you just, I mean, it's, I know it sounds gross, but be real with me. And you just went. People are running, screaming, and rolling, and you just kept. After a while, you've hit everything in the room. It's the same idea of preaching. When I'm up here preaching, you have no idea. I'm like. And by the end of the night, there's nothing unhit. Yeah? People say, you said too much. Nope, I said exactly what I needed to, to cover everything in the room. You don't have to retain it all. You just take what was speaking to you. Somebody said to me once, you did me a great in-service today. And I said, what do you mean? Everybody's like, great sermon, feeding me. Great sermon, man. And then, and then this guy waited till very last. His older gentleman probably could have been my dad's age. And he just had a glum look, and he's standing there waiting. He's at the door. I start leaving. I said, hey, buddy, you okay? Nope. I said, what's up? Well, you sure did me an in-service today. He said, you couldn't just give me a cup of milk. You had to dump the whole truck on me. <laughs> he said, what am I supposed to do with a whole truck of milk? I said, man, be careful how you see things and interpret things. It's amazing how negative we've been trained to think. I said, listen, you don't have to drink the whole truck. Just drink the cup that satisfies. And if you get thirsty again, you got a whole truck. (laughs) So you're making a problem out of something that's only good. And you're leaving with a mentality that's subverting what God's trying to do in your life and heart. Why would you be your own mess worst enemy with the way you... And he laughed and said, wow, I guess I was overthinking that, huh? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Colossians chapter 3, real quick. We'll do this real quick. Because I just quoted a little bit of it, but I want you to see this. So I preached on becoming love. I preached a lot of intense stuff today. So how's my life really, truly change? Never changes apart from being with him. I'm just telling you, it's not works. It's grace. And it never, your life won't change Truly, apart from just being with him. Being with him is the change of your life. So let me show you what that can look like and how you can step into that and use the word of God to empower you to get there. Verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, in light of what I just said, because this is true, 
watch this, put to, he didn't say manage, control, and find a healthy balance. The first thing on the list every time, every time in the New Testament we talks about the works of the flesh and putting things away, the first thing on the list every time, you check and see if I'm not telling the truth, is sexuality. Every time. See, I taught you yesterday that God didn't give you the emotions you grew up with, Adam did. Well, he didn't give you the sex drive you grew up with, Adam gave you that too. There's people that teach that God gave us our sex drive. Are you kidding? It got so perverted and manipulated through sin that it became totally self-centered and self-driven and gratifying and satisfying. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed and lust. Listen to what the New King James says. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion. He didn't say find a healthy balance and manage your urges. He said kill it as you know it. Wow. (laughs) Is it in your Bible? Put it to death? Wow. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming to the sons of disobedience. And once you and me, we all walked ourselves in this thing when we lived this way. But now, but now, you yourselves, you yourselves, you also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice. Bitter language, math, blasphemy, bitter language, filthy language, out of your mouth. Watch what he said. You yourself are to put off these things. Put them aside. He didn't say anger management. He said put it away. Can I be honest? There's a big thing out there about anger management. Anger management to the Christian should be hypocrisy. We should understand that. So what's your name, man? So I'm getting to know Michael, and I'm putting a little expectation on Michael, not realizing it. And next thing you know, Michael's not living up to what I expected. And Michael doesn't even realize what's going on, but I'm a little ticked now at Michael. And I'm a little angry at Michael. And I'm feeling like he should be doing better, he should know better, and I shouldn't have to tell him. And all of a sudden, I'm reading into all this stuff. And now when I'm talking to Michael, I say, well, you know, I'm just going to manage my anger. I don't want to take it out on him, make him feel bad. But I'll tell you that, boy. Mm. And then I see him and I say, hey, Michael, how you doing? He says, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, you're doing good. I ought to just talk to you about this right now. Well, no, man, I'm doing good. I've been praying. I'm saying, yeah, okay, well, good, man. Have a good day. I call that managing anger, so I'm not going to vent my feelings to him. I'm going to subdue it and I'm going to have them, but I'm not going to express them. That's hypocrisy. <laughs> I'm putting to death anger and all this stuff. I'm putting it away. I'm putting it off. What it means is I'm putting on the way God sees Michael and I'm not going to see Michael the way I was seeing Michael so the way I feel about Michael totally changes in the truth of how I see him. How do I die to the old way and put off the old way without getting trapped into works and risking failing and turning it into a New Year's resolution that doesn't work? Good question, Dan. 
Hope you got the answer. It sounds like a long answer. That was an intense question. It's a very simple answer. It is. He says, don't lie to one another since you've put off. Put off. There's that phrase again. Yeah. You've put off the... Man, and somebody somewhere along the line just told us to pray a prayer to go to heaven. We're dying in the likeness of his death. We're being buried in baptism with him. We're dying to sin once for all. We're, we're living unto God. We're putting off the old man, putting on the new. This is powerful to me. It sure makes Christianity exciting. I'm never going to get trapped to serving the doctrine. <laughs> I'm going to walk in the joy of becoming. But now you yourselves are to put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice. Don't lie to one another. Why? You've put off the old man with his deeds and you've put on the... Who's renewed in according to the image of him who created him. So I guess Christianity is a restoration back to his image. So you're being renewed in knowledge according to his image. So guess what you're doing? You're putting off and you're putting on. What's that look like? It's you in a place all alone. You could be in your car on the way to work. You could be in the shower. You could be sitting on the potty. God's not grossed out. I'm just being real. You take advantage of time. Don't tell me you're too busy. You sit on the commode alone. Stop picking up the magazine. Just talk to Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. But it's stuff like this. Wow, Father, you're changing my life. You're revealing a whole new reason for being. God, I grew up in Adam. I grew up in self-centeredness. I grew up with drives and passions and lusts and desires. And I thought they were all normal. And they seemed common among men. And they seemed like just the way we were. But I realized those things all die now that you're in me. Because I die to them and everything I ever was. God, you never created me for myself, my own pleasure, my own fulfilled desires. You created me for your image, for your likeness, and for your love. And Father, I put off every work of the flesh. I say these things shouldn't own me again and never will. God, I thank you. I'll not be succumbed and subdued by stress and frustration and anger. God, I thank you. No man in this world owes me a thing. And I owe no man anything but to love. And Lord God, I put on your tender mercies and your loving kindness. And I rejoice that your heart is inside of me. And I rejoice that I look through the very eyes you behold with. Father, thank you for changing me. That's putting off. That's putting on. That sure beats, God, bummer. I can't believe it's six o'clock and I got to go to work. I really need your grace and I hope the car runs right. And if that boss treats me the way he did yesterday, I don't know what I'm going to do. That is not prayer. That's you trapped in your own little world, dying. Thinking you're praying. Come on. Don't you reserve a right to be something you were never created to be. Don't boast in that. Don't think that that's cool. If it didn't come from him, why would you? You say, well, I got my rights. No. How do you deny yourself? Pick up your cross and have rights. Come on. Don't you let the psychology of this world that just simply is the explaining of how people think and function. I'm not putting psychology down. Don't you let the psychology of this world be the way.
when it's not him. You get alone with Jesus. You put off and you put on. He taught me how to receive communion years ago and I did it day after day until it was about 45 minutes till I'd even put the bread in my mouth and I still was holding the cup and I just ran out of time. The revelation got so big it was beautiful. The way he taught me to receive communion was that same way. The way he taught me to enter into fasting I would just begin to kneel and get before the Lord and end up prostrate and the whole time I was kneeling I was putting off. And by the time I was prostrate, I had totally put off. And when I got back up and started coming up, I was putting on. And all of a sudden, I'm fasting 8, 10, 12 days, whatever it was, out there. And there's no way you had any idea. Same countenance, same energy, same yay. Not all the symptoms everybody says you have to have. Why? Putting off, putting on, spiritual thing. Camping out in him, empowered by grace. Yay. Not starving myself and not disciplining, missing a meal, wishing I wasn't fasting because it smells good. You might as well just go get a plate. You're not fasting. Oh, no. We're making that today, and I'm fasting. Just go eat. No, you're not fasting. You don't understand. You're torturing yourself. Go eat. (laughs) Am I messing up? (laughs) I was in my bathroom. I was fasting. I was brushing my teeth. And the next day was going to be the longest I had ever fasted in my life. And I was so pumped. I was fired up. I, like, I had no symptoms whatsoever, and I was fasting. And I was going to pass, because everybody's talking about all these long fasts. And so I'm fasting. I'm in the bathroom, and the Lord said, I'm brushing my teeth. And the Lord said, hey, if you fast past today, it's going to be all for nothing anyway. I said, huh? He said, Dan, you've lost sight of what you're even doing. You're trying to reach a point in time. What are you doing? I said, but Lord, he said, the fact that you would butt me says everything. I felt on my knees crying uncontrollably. The fact that you'd butt me says everything. He was saying, stop. Don't boast in your ignorance. Come on. Don't debate with me like you would your flesh dad. I know what I'm telling you. I'm your God. He said, the fact that you would butt me. So I'm sitting there bawling, right? I'm bawling, man. And he says, Dan, why would you do this to yourself? Why would you try to reach a point in time? That's nothing to do with it. He said, and subject yourself to the pride of it all and everything. And then you're in a conversation or you're listening in a conversation. And somebody says, oh, I fasted this many days. And somebody says, really? Well, I fasted this many days. And in your heart, you might not even speak up. But in your mind, you say, wow, I fasted this many days. Whoopee. God's like saying, who cares? It's not about that. All it is is a suppression of the carnal nature so you rise and the things of the spirit are more sensitive to the truth. Yeah. It's not a goal. It's not, it doesn't make you Superman fasting hero of the century. It, <laughs> you know, <laughs> flying around with a cape, FC, fasting champion. <laughs> SF, super faster. <laughs> Whatever. Nobody's getting an award. We're seeking him. 
and becoming more like Him. Are you guys okay? Well, if you're not saved by now, I don't know why. <laughs> and if you're not right with God, it's, you need to deal with something because it just wouldn't be right. I'm not a real altar call guy. I, I like to bring your heart to Him. I like to put the Word in you. Because here's the truth. Here's the honest truth. Every one of us has to leave here tonight and decide what we're going to do with what we got when we came. You're the steward of your own life. Nobody can be your faith for you. Nobody can be your discipline for you. Nobody can be your obedience for you. Nobody can live your relationship for you. You're the steward of your own heart, guys. Steward it well. Keep your conscience clear. And go after him with everything that you are. And if what you're thinking and what you're believing and what you're feeling isn't building up and encouraging your life, then it's a lie. It's not from the Lord because he gives life and life even more. So you might feel right and think you're right and in the court of your own mind you might have a case going, but if it's not encouraging you the way you're going, kill it because it's not him. You guys with me? I'm just calling you into a, a simple, humble accountability that every man has to walk out what he's going to do with this gospel. And every person has to live with himself. So love yourself the way he does and put on what he accomplished and become what he's always known. Thank you for listening. You can find more information about Presence Church at www.presenceoc.org.